Hello everyone and welcome to episode 23 of Becoming, the show where we explore who we are and how we got there. I'm your host, Katherine Tang, and for today's episode, I had a chance to chat with Stephanie Wu about music, startups, and the power of online learning. This episode was actually recorded last year when the pandemic first started, but at the end of the episode, I'll give you a brief update as to what life looks like for Stephanie now. So Stephanie, thank you so much for uh, coming on the podcast today. Thank you, Kat, for having me. So to start us off, can you share a little bit about who you are and what you do? Sure. I am a marketer by day and a musician by night. So what I mean by that is I work during the work week um, in marketing in a, at an education tech startup. And then on uh, weekends, I play with orchestras or chamber music groups at weddings and other things. So I, I kind of lead two parallel careers right now. Stephanie is currently based in the Bay Area, but I wanted to find out a little bit more about what life was like for her as a kid. So I was very musical, naturally, of course. I played piano. I started when I was six. And then in fourth grade, I started with the cello. And I I would say I was very studious, too. I I practiced a lot. I was also imaginative and playful. I remember creating, you know, games at the the playground that other groups of kids would want to play. It was a, I even gave the name of the game a, a name called Strick. And it was, it basically was kind of like tag, but with a stick and people had to try to steal the stick. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then in high school, I was voted most, most studious and like quietest. So I was definitely kind of a goody two shoes kind of kid and just studied and practiced as much as I could, uh, both piano and cello. And I ended up sticking with cello. I think when I was 16, I was, that was the hardest decision for me was trying to decide mm. what instrument to play because I realized I was kind of spreading myself too thin um, and I ended up picking cello because I thought it offered a lot more opportunities to just interact with other people and play in a big orchestra since there's usually 12 spots um, for cellos in an orchestra, whereas there's one uh, for piano. And I'm just thinking about you in grade four and like a cello is not a, I mean, it's not a small instrument. And so how was that starting in grade four? Did you have like any other string experience prior to that? No, not at all. And so I I looked a little awkward. I had big glasses. (laughs) I had, well, luckily they make cellos, you know, in different sizes. So I had, I started Mm. with a half size instrument. And so, so it fit me pretty well. And I remember I, it was awkward for me because I was playing it kind of like a piano in, in the beginning. Like you're actually supposed to keep your fingers down where, uh, whereas on a piano, you just lift your fingers as you're playing. And so mm-hmm. it, it was a pretty smooth adjustment, I think for myself. Um, now, 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 whenever I pick up my cello, I feel like I'm at home. <laughs> and so um, when you were little, I guess, or even in high school, did you think that you were going to become a professional musician? I thought I was going to be a cello teacher. Mm. I remember in high school, too, like we had an exercise where we had a list 30 things we would do by the age of 30. And I remember listing like open up a cello studio. So that's what I thought I was going to be when I grew up. 
And is, so that, is that what made you decide to go to school for music? Yes and no. So for college, I actually decided I didn't want to go to conservatory because I wanted to really broaden my horizons and, you know, learn from other people who are studying completely different things outside of music. And I was fortunate enough to go to Harvard and I still remember actually some of my, my, one of my high school classmates are like, you're going to Harvard, you're going to major in music. Like that seems like (laughs) a a waste of a degree. (laughs) And so actually at Harvard, I, I did a double major in social studies and music. I really found, found like the social sciences interesting um, in high school, actually, I, I studied a lot of science. I went, I was fortunate enough to go to a public magnet school, Thomas Jefferson for high school, uh, Thomas Jefferson High School for Science and Technology. It's a mouthful, um, but TJ for short. And TJ is what, known as one of the best public schools in the U.S. Um, focusing on- Is that in New York City? No, it's close to D.C., Alexandria, Virginia to be exact. And so I, I, I studied organic chemistry and biology. And, and I joke that I, I got an overdose of science in high school. And so I went into the social sciences and humanities in, in, in college. I really enjoyed the liberal arts aspect of, of my college education. And so explored lots of different courses uh, while I was at Harvard. So that's funny, because actually, um, for my undergrad, I also did sort of a double degree in music and psychology. Oh, funny. That's really yeah. 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 I think there's lots of intersections there. And I I was into like sociology and, you know, and musicology. And I ended up writing a senior thesis about a music festival in Japan that enabled me to combine my, both interests. And I also happen to play in that music festival. So that also <laughs> helped me, you know, keep my, you know, feet wet in both, you know, both music and also academia. And then so after college, what did you do? I was fortunate enough to get a, a scholarship, a travel scholarship. Um, so when I graduated, it was 2006. And 2007 was Mozart's 250th birthday anniversary Mm. so I wrote a travel proposal to explore Mozart's stomping grounds like where he was born in Salzburg and and where he died in in Vienna and and had a flourishing career so I was fortunate to get his travel scholarship to 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 visit Europe because I had never been there before and I thought I really wanted to visit the birthplace of classical music Um, and I applied for conservatory because I thought it would, now was the time since you know after getting an undergraduate liberal arts education I really wanted to to immerse myself in music and see if like if it was really indeed something that I could do professionally and so I went to the Royal Northern College of Music in Manchester where I was uh, lucky enough to get a you know full ride scholarship um, and it was actually a tough decision because I I could have gone to Juilliard for grad school. Um, but it wasn't free. It was a two-year mm. program, whereas in Manchester, um, it was a one-year program to get a master's, and it would give me, you know, an opportunity to explore Europe. So, 
I chose that um, to, to visit England. And, and during that time, I was able during my breaks to explore uh, Vienna, Salzburg, and lots of other, you know, European countries while I was um, in, in Europe for that one year after college. As I was listening to Stephanie, I was thinking about what an amazing and uplifting experience this year must have been for her. But then she shared something that happened, which really made her rethink her path forward. I had the chance to play with the BBC Philharmonic um, as a student and just play with them during rehearsals. And my stand partner was saying things like, this is musical prison. And the the cellists behind me were saying, you know, it's not too late to change your career. And I realized that their love of music was dead. I, and I felt really sad because, you know, once they turned it into a job, it became more of a chore. Mm. And I think in the UK, especially then, I don't know how, how it is right now, but like orchestral musicians are overworked and underpaid. And so I came away from, my experience in Europe thinking, I don't want that to happen to my love of music. I'm just going to keep it as a hobby when I return to the States. And so it was a heartbreaking decision for me. But then I also realized like, you know, physically it was difficult because I also had tendonitis. That was something that I've been grappling with since high school. Um, and so that's partly also the reason why I stopped playing piano too. And so for, for those reasons, it, I decided I'd keep music, you know, more as a hobby, but little did I know, I came back to the Bay Area or I, and where I am now living and realized I just couldn't just keep it as a hobby. And so I have it as kind of like a side career on the weekends. <laughs> So that year, I guess, was really pivotal for you um, in terms of deciding what your future would look like. And, and as tough as that must have been, probably a good thing for you to have realized it at that point or had heard from other people rather than, you know, deciding to go down um, a route of being an orchestral musician full time and then um, being in a place where you don't love it as much. Yes, indeed. I, I'm really grateful for that experience. And I do see some of that kind of frustration or, you know, uh, resentment today because uh, I still play in local orchestras and it's it's tough mm-hmm. making a, a living as a musician. It really is. And here in the Bay Area, we have a phrase of like the freeway philharmonic. So if you're not playing in like the San Francisco Symphony Ballet or opera, you have to cobble together a living playing in, you know, the Fremont Symphony or or Oak, you know, or Stockton and you have to basically be on the road driving mm. several hours um, and you and you end up spending more time behind the wheel than behind your instrument. And so was that a hard decision for you to to decide to come back and and try to find something else? Like what did your what did your first years of work then look like back in the US? Uh, very exploratory. I was really trying to find, you know, something that met, met the world's deepest needs and also my deepest passions. And so 
I went into philanthropy. I went into the nonprofit sector because I, I think it was my idealism <laughs> that I had, you know, from college too. I, I wanted to find something that really enabled me to use both sides of my brain, creativity and analytical skills. And I thought philanthropy was a great way to really make an impact in the world and, and, and tackle really tough, you know, social economic issues that I had studied in college too. Um, so I spent my first five years back in the U.S. in philanthropy working for uh, the Irvine and Packard Foundations. And while it was really meaningful to me, I just found that personally the, the pace of change and innovation were glacial. Mm. So I also realized that I was, I was the kind of person who likes working in a more fast-paced environment. And... Going, reflecting back on my tech background, because I went to a you know a tech high school, I and living in of course the Bay Area, the Silicon Valley, is very vibrant. So I thought, oh, I I want to try to join a tech startup, and I realized though, since I spent my career in the nonprofit sector, it's kind of difficult to make that pivot, and so I decided. Mm-hmm to enroll in the UC Berkeley um, evening and weekend MBA program. And I enrolled in that program partly because I needed to make that pivot, but I also um, was really inspired by my experience playing in the YouTube symphony in 2011. Um, And that was like a multimedia event where Google flew 101 musicians and from 33 different countries to Sydney and we performed in the opera house there and they live streamed the event and projected amazing uh, visual art on the sales of the opera house. And it was then that I, I, I resolved, oh, wow, I would love to work in tech and, you know, really, um, and actually Google became like my dream company to work for. <laughs> and so I, you know, decided, okay, I'm going to get my MBA. I'm going to try to make this this career transition into tech. And I, during my time at, in the, at Haas Business School, I discovered marketing was a great way to blend my passion for you know creativity and also um, use my analytical skills. And so that's how I wound up in marketing. And during my first year of that three-year MBA program where I was simultaneously working you know, at the Packer Foundation, and then on the weekends I was doing nine 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. classes. Oh my goodness. Yes. Uh, I was able to make the switch. I actually left the Packard Foundation and joined a a music startup uh, called Smeal, which which perfectly blended my passion uh, for music and and tech. Basically, uh, Smeal creates apps that enable people, regardless of their ability or access to instruments, they could turn their, their smartphone device or tablet into a musical instrument, be it a piano or, you know, you could sing karaoke or you could speak and it would automatically, one of the apps would uh, called auto rap would automatically turn your speech into rap. And so it was really fun working at Smeal. And I learned a lot about marketing, um, driving, driving mobile app installs through, through advertising and got to wear a lot of different hats there. At this point in the conversation, I'm just blown away by the number of opportunities that Stephanie has had, but I also know that none of these would have been possible if she wasn't intentional about making all the different pivots that she's made. 
during this time, I was still actually doing my MBA. I was there at Smule for two years. And when I was in business school, I thought, oh, you know, B2C marketing uh, is interesting, marketing to consumers. But I wanted to also try B2B, so marketing to businesses. And so that I joined a couple startups and then finally wound up at Google. I joined the the enterprise business side, so Google Cloud, which is basically selling um, our cloud services to companies um, like Snapchat, for example, or Spotify. And I spent four years there really getting you know, better at, at demand generation and field marketing, which is like organizing marketing events for for our target audiences, which included like, you know, business decision makers, CXOs and developers um, and really enjoyed my time at Google Cloud. But then I realized I, I missed, you know, working, you know, for a mission driven company whose mission really resonated with me personally and that and smell mm. smell fit that bill because like bringing the joy of music to everyone and making that accessible that was that was something that I was really passionate about too and I also missed working in a fast-paced nimble and you know startup culture so that was why I left Google and that was actually just a couple months ago and now I am at Coursera um, which is an ed tech company whose mission is to transform people's lives through learning. And so this is kind of a funny aside is when I was on maternity leave, I did a whole bunch of courses through Coursera. Oh, that's great to hear. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I'm at home with a child and I really need to do something to work my brain. And so yeah. that's how I found Coursera. Yeah. So I think oh. I did, like I did a few courses on there. Oh, that's so great to hear. Yes, I've heard of other moms uh, using Coursera, which is great. So can you share a little bit more then about what you actually do at Coursera now? Sure. I'm building global marketing campaigns and programs. And so that involves using a bunch of different channels, including our website, email, paid media, which includes ads, and nurturing, which is basically whatever leads come in, either through like our contact sales uh, button form on our website, and then we're trying to further nurture them and so that they're ready to talk to sales and become qualified leads. And would you say this is similar to what you were doing at Google, or do you feel like every time you've moved jobs, you um, sort of develop a new skill set? Oh, great question. This is similar to what I was doing at Google, um, but I do feel like I'm still still always growing and learning, and, and this is my first time working in the ed tech space, mm-hmm. so I'm learning a ton. And just, I think, I think every time I've changed jobs, there's always, you know, skills that are transferable. I mean, I would say even for music, just learning how to be a team player and collaborating and, you know, communicating effectively, giving constructive feedback. I think those are all things that I've honed through my musical background that I've been able to apply at work. And so, you know, you're someone who has had quite a bit of schooling. So how would you... Um, compare, contrast that with what um, you guys actually offer through Coursera? Great question. So I think 
I've been very fortunate enough to to attend, you know, TJ, which is one of the best public schools in the U.S., and and then of course Harvard. And I really wish that everyone could have the opportunity to have high access to high quality education. And I think what Coursera is doing is really important because you know, in order to provide access, it's it's just it's just critical to have online learning available, especially now with coronavirus too. It's just some, it's such a valuable resource um, to offer. And, and I personally wish, Oh, Coursera, I wish Coursera had had the, the MBA degree when I, mm. when I did the UC Berkeley um, MBA, cause I mean, that was a lot of driving back and forth um, to go to class and there were no, there weren't no, any really um, online courses that I could take to get an MBA uh, back in 20, 2014 was when I graduated from Haas. So. And would you consider Coursera um, a startup or would you say it's more of like a fairly established company by now? I would say it's it's up and coming. I I think we're on lists you know, of top you know startups to watch. And I, I would say it's more like a mid-sized company. Like I've worked mm. at startups that are more 50 people um and and now of course there is about 500 500 employees so it's it's a good balance between you know what i experience at you know at smeal versus google cloud i think it's it's right in the middle so it's kind of like you've got these tastes of you know really up and coming um beginning days startup and then to something like what you're doing now and then also to something really established like google so if we think um, a little bit more about your life outside of work, um, what are some things that are important to you or that you value? I would say family and friends. So I myself, I'm a mom as well. I have two little ones, a three and a half year old and a one year old. So they occupy a lot of my time outside of work. Very busy ages, yes. <laughs> yes, yes. And then friends, of course, um, something I like to do for fun on the weekends is just playing music, just chamber music, just reading it for fun for, and, and then having a nice dinner afterwards. That's, that's one of my favorite things to do. (laughs) And of course also exercise. I, I learned early on in high school when I became injured with like tendonitis that it was really important to just get blood flowing through my veins and so I I make it a point to regularly exercise and try to have fun at the same time so I do yoga bar dance classes um and you know weightlifting just things to help me keep in shape and make sure I don't get injured again and I know you had mentioned that like you do still play with um like you have your chamber groups and you do have orchestra that you play with like how much of your time would you say is still spent now doing music? I would say 20%, I think. Okay. That's yeah. significant. <laughs> uh, yes. I recently played like Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows movie we, with live orchestra and chorus. And that was like three, three and a half, three hour shows. Oh my three, goodness. Three of, three of the shows in one weekend um so when i when i do perform it's like really condensed intense periods it's just for like a week or weekend uh and then it becomes quiet 
have your show. kids come to any of your shows not yet not yet I don't think they could <laughs> I know they're like oh it's so long yeah no they can't but I'm hoping to bring them someday um, and this is sort of just a question back um, you had mentioned about this YouTube orchestra. I'm really curious about this. Can you tell me more? Like, how did you even get connected with that? Oh, so this is through my friends. Uh, one of them said you should audition for the YouTube symphony. And I had never heard of it. And I also was a little bit shy about uploading a video of myself <laughs> onto YouTube. But I thought, hey, it's, you know, it sounds like an incredible experience. And I never, never thought I could perform at Sydney Opera House. So it was really last minute because I didn't know about YouTube Symphony. Um, and the deadline was fast approaching. So I took one thing, it was Thanksgiving weekend. And another friend, um, he had really great video editing skills and had all the equipment because I had none of that. And he was kind enough to, you know, basically let me film myself in it at his house. And, um, I auditioned for the YouTube symphony with that video and somehow got in. And, and I think that was a pivotal experience for me. Um, it was, it was just incredible in meeting musicians from around the world and, there were really young kids actually in the orchestra. It was basically any anyone could 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 audition. And so there was there was one inspiring story of I remember a, a boy who lived near the a Chernobyl basically, and his family was really negatively impacted by the the accident. Like his family was getting mm. sick, and they 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 moved to I think Argentina, and they were very poor. Um, because they basically had to uproot their lives. And the boy learned how to play violin from his mother, but she could only teach him so much. And so, and they couldn't afford lessons. So he learned how to play violin from watching YouTube videos. No way. I thought it was incredible. And he he was an amazing violinist. And you can, uh, I, I can send you the link for his, his story because his story was so inspirational. Um, yeah, he became so good that I mean he was one of the violinists selected for the YouTube Symphony. And I think that online learning that that really struck a chord with me, and I think that's also part of the reason why I'm at, at Coursera. I think the sky's the limit. Like, it's just amazing what you can learn. And so, as like an employee of Coursera, do you guys like? Is there a particular course that you want to take <laughs> on your own platform? Oh, well, right now I'm taking um, early childhood <laughs> rearing or parenting, basically. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so I can learn how to deal with my uh, three-nager, I like to call mm. her. She's only three, but she acts like a teenager. And so, yeah, that's, that's the course I'm doing right now as we speak. Um, Excellent. Yeah. <laughs> This feels like a good place to give you a quick update on how things have been going for Stephanie. When I asked her about the last 12 months, she shared that she's been working from home since March 2020 and has not played the cello at a live concert or a wedding for the last year. Meanwhile, she's baking more banana bread than she's ever had in her entire life. When we first recorded the episode, Stephanie had only been at Coursera for a few months. 
During the pandemic, she was able to make a transition to being a people manager for Coursera, and she's in the process of hiring her second direct report. While her workload has doubled due to COVID-19, she feels fortunate to be working at Coursera, which is helping thousands of universities deliver online education to students. And of course, I wanted to hear about some things that were bringing her joy amidst everything that is happening. She shared that she is continuing Zumba, yoga, she's going on walks, and still playing the cello on her own. In fact, she and a friend asynchronously recorded a cover of Taylor Swift's Last Great American Dynasty. It is linked in the show notes, and you should definitely listen to it. So now we'll return to the original recording to wrap things up. So um, if you could share one piece of advice or a life lesson, what would it be? Keep a growth mindset. I think it's never too late to learn. Um, and I think that's how I was able to make pivots from you know nonprofit to tech marketing. Just keep reinventing yourself and don't take yourself too seriously in the process. Stephanie, this has been a lot of fun. And um, you said that if you wanted um, that people can connect with you through LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. And so I'll make sure to put um, a link um, in the description so people can, can check that out. Sounds great. Thanks so much for being on the show. Thank you for having me.